Welcome to Commons and Chronicles, the podcast where we talk about all the best creative commons and reusable open game license content. If you need resources for your creative writing, game design, or you just love lore, Commons and Chronicles is for you. Hi everyone, this is Klaatu. You're listening to Chronicles and Commons. Today I want to talk I, I, I'm not going to talk about dragons again um, I do have more third-party dragons that I really really want to talk about but uh, something local happened again and I, I figured it was worth talking about just because it is kind of uh, it's kind of timely as it turns out um, or, or at least it's timely because it happened the the thing that I wanted to talk about were um, fairies and flowers specifically and the the reason this is timely is because in the region that I, I live right now, there is a daffodil festival. This is unrelated to really anything um, other than the fact that historically, back in the late 1800s, someone, uh, I think it was during Prohibition, interestingly, someone at a brew, a brew house, uh, because they weren't allowed to, to do their normal brewing, decided to go out and plant a bunch of daffodils by the hundreds, which was quite a feat. Uh, and an expense because the bulbs at the time were they cost something like a hundred dollars per bulb so it wasn't it wasn't something that they did just out of sort of for for want of anything better to do it was something that they probably saw as either a service to the community or maybe a business opportunity and it sounds like it was more like a, a service to the community because ultimately the daffodils would be picked uh, each year and then sold off for charity. So it was apparently a philanthropic activity, and this happened back in something like 1868 or, or something like maybe it was 1915 because I think prohibition was a little bit later um, than a- the 1800s uh, here in New Zealand. But it, it was it was done at that time, and and it, the daffodils just keep blooming. They don't stop. They're perennials, I guess, is what they're called where they you, you plant it once and it just keeps springing back up. It's not like you have to replant the thing. Um, and they survive, you know, they, they kind of, they die off during the winter and then they come back in the spring. It's kind of how it all happens. And and so I went to go see these these daffodils and ended up going um, way too early in the in the year. Uh, as you've, as you heard in the previous episode, it's, it's mid-autumn here, so... So it's it it was kind of unreasonable to assume that that the the daffodils would be springing to life right now, but um, actually I don't, how could it be mid autumn if it's winter? It, 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 I, I'm not sure about this um, this September 13 thing for the for the mid autumn marker, but I guess by a lunar calendar it must all make sense. But anyway, that's all previous episode stuff now. So I went way too early. And the flowers were not really out in in full bloom yet, um, but it was a beautiful area, and lots of old ruins of the of the brew of the brewing house were there. It was, it was quite something to see. But um, one of the things that that they had around the 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 walk, it was a kind of a big nature walk, were little signs about the different kinds of flowers out, and all of them talked about fairies, and I thought that was quite interesting. Um, because certainly the you know this 
this is recent enough not to have actually been serious about fairies, I don't think. Um, but apparently there's enough of a connection to different kinds of flowers and fairy folklore that they decided to talk about this in the signage. And so I've got quite a, an interesting, an odd collection of of sort of stories about the different flowers and, and what they mean and what they might indicate to to someone who maybe is very bound to tradition from the old country being Scotland and Ireland and and what it might represent. So uh, the first one that I encountered was the primrose. The primrose, uh, which some of those were actually in bloom, so I did get to see some primroses. But apparently the primroses are, are called the roses of the spring, which is kind of funny because they don't look anything like a rose like if you know what a rose looks like and you saw a primrose you would have no connection between those two things at all not 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 in the way that they grow not in the way that they the, the petals look it's just no connection that i could see whatsoever nevertheless they're called roses of the spring or the primrose the common name for the plant is the primula p-r-i-m-u-l-a which is derived from primus meaning first or early so in other words, this is the first rose, and and that is accurate, I, I would say, because going out into the into the fields and seeing these primroses and just a couple of daffodils kind of made it obvious that yeah, primroses do bloom pretty early. It would seem. There's an old little uh, rhyme or, or song about primroses. Will you buy my sweet primroses? Two bunches a penny, all a growing, all a blowing. Who will buy my sweet primroses? Two bunches a penny. So the phrase all a-growing meant that the flowers could be planted by the buyers in their own gardens. So they would sell the primroses to people to then be planted because they were still alive. Um, the flower sellers of primroses would have gathered them from the countryside near their abodes, the fields of Islington, Paddington, or Lambeth. Hawking various uh, wares was an occupation open to women of the time. So during the springtime, they would go out into the town and they would sell primroses uh, with, with children who had picked them from the nearby woodlands. Younger children were left behind under the supervision of the older women who could no longer walk so far to sell the flowers, uh, and that was kind of the economy um, at the time. So it was believed also that you could use primroses to see fairies if you were brave enough. Um, you could find a fairy rock. Now, I don't know what a fairy rock is, and they didn't explain it on the sign, so I have no idea what that means. But you could find a fairy rock, and you could, as long as you had a bouquet of primroses consisting of some magical number, unfortunately it does not detail what that number is in this little blurb, so I don't know what that is. But if you had that, then you could touch the fairy rock, and you would be shown the door to the Feylands, or the Fairylands, or to the Fey, whatever, the, the, that, that demi-plane that is um, where the fairies live. Now, if you touch the fairy rock and you have the incorrect number of primroses in your bouquet, uh, unfortunately, you disappear. It doesn't exactly say what that means, but that's a danger, so... You wouldn't want to do this unless you were very, very sure that you had the right number of primroses in your bouquet. Now, I love this idea because um, if 
if you look at modules like the um, the the River King from uh, Cobalt Press, which I reviewed on the Mixed Signals website. If you go to mixedsignals.ml, you'll you'll find a review of the um, the the River King. It's by Cobalt Press. It's quite a good adventure about really set mostly in the Fey, and and the Fey is a you know potentially difficult thing to run. So seeing some mention of the Fey in in a real world setting was actually quite helpful to me. And one of the things in the in the module is kind of the the way that the players find their way to the Fey, and it can be a little bit convoluted sometimes, and and not very intuitive. So hearing this kind of um, real-world, historic but real-world mythos about how to find the fairies with a bouquet of primroses and then touching a fairy rock is brilliant to me. It, it really kind of opened up sort of like, okay, that's how this could be presented in this module. Now in the module, and I won't say exactly what it is for want of spoilers, but for fear of spoilers, but... Um, there are things that you can there are methods to reach the fey and you know unless you really thought about it you you wouldn't figure it out and and in many ways i i i don't think that most people are familiar enough with legends around the fey or the fairies that it would be intuitive for them to figure that out in the module and I, I'm guessing that most people would have to be told explicitly by an NPC, this is how you get to the Fae, or this is a legend about it, or, or something. Or the DM has to trick them into doing the thing that they must do in order to get to the Fae, which I think is, is not impossible. I think that a DM could reasonably... There are ways to make that happen, but... Uh, in that particular module, but it's just kind of interesting to hear. Well, here's a here's an idea. What if there was some someone talking about primroses and this, or or what if there was a, a really beautiful uh, rock on this property and 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 it's mentioned explicitly by the DM, so the players are probably going to go investigate it. And what if when they were investigating it, someone told them this story about about the power of that rock or or whatever so that was kind of kind of an eye-opener for me in a way there's also a um a type of tree a, ha a hawthorn tree which um there are there were a couple of hawthorn trees on this property that i saw the the daffodils and the primroses at and um once again the the hawthorn tree itself is associated with healing powers and power over lovers the hawthorn tree has a strong association with fairies as well. The branches and flowers were used as decoration in marriage ceremonies and for garland that would get hung up out, um, outside the doors of your abode uh, for to grant you good luck during the springtime. Anytime you want to cut down a hawthorn tree, you have to ask the fairies for permission. Now, once again, it didn't really say how you get confirmation of whether the permission has been granted or not so i guess um i guess that's up to the the person who's doing the cutting to know sort of what to look for um or maybe you just present the idea and um 
if when you swing your axe at it, you don't miss swing and accidentally cut off your own head, then maybe you're good to go. I'm not really sure. But that's the, that's the idea. And then finally, there were some violets there, which I didn't actually see, but I'm, I'm assuming that maybe later in the season they would be there. And the the violet had kind of an interesting, an interesting tale around it as well. And it has nothing to do with fairies, but it's got a whole lot to do with superstition, which I think is in itself kind of interesting. And the superstition is simply that the well, first of all, the ancient Greeks apparently considered the violet a symbol of fertility and love. They used it in love potions. Uh, Pliny uh, recommended that a garland of them be worn around the head to ward off headaches, to calm tempers, and, and to induce sleep, which I think might still be kind of a thing. I mean, not necessarily wearing it around your head, but I feel like there have been teas out there that have been violet-based for, for, for sleeping. Maybe I'm thinking of another, uh, a different... Uh, maybe I'm thinking of lilac or something. I'm not sure, but I, I feel like that's a thing. Uh, leaves were worn to help wound uh, to help heal wounds, but specifically, what kind of caught my eye, although that that that's all very interesting as well, uh, is that the, the superstition that if you gather the first violet of the spring, then your dearest wish will be granted. And that sort of simple, that, that sort of really simple kind of superstition is just kind of fascinating to me because it's. It's if you look at it sort of mechanically, it's just not that it's it's just not that complex, right? It is it is simple. It is a very simple and immediate thing. It's just if you happen to pick the first violet of spring, then your 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 wish is granted, and that's it. That that's the superstition. There doesn't need to be a magical number in your bouquet. There doesn't need to be a sequence of events that occurs it is simply the superstition that if you do that then that and and if if we could think to put those kinds of really small tiny little superstitions into the world of a, of a fantasy adventure i think that would just be brilliant and i think the 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 moment a player for me um, the moment a player decides to announce that they are going to go gather herbs or gather flowers or something like that something that people just don't think of i think that's an immediate reward for me and i just i while saying okay well you now get a wish granted might be a little bit dangerous for your campaign um even so that idea of okay this druid or this ranger or this fighter for all i care said that they were going to go while the rest of the people were camping out to go pick flowers i just think that's a brilliant opportunity to rather than ambush them with a wandering monster to to provide them with oh by the way you've picked um the first uh violet of this of the season so um the the fairies will grant you uh, a wish within their power easy done um, so yeah, I, th I think that kind of flavor, and it doesn't have to be complex. Like I say, it doesn't have to be that they've found something or, or done some sequence of events that that are that are um, that are really complex and 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 calculated. It can it can just be something simple, like oh, they they stumbled upon the right thing at the right time, and so they get something special. I think that's a 
It's a great, great way to reward people. It doesn't have to be a flower. It could be something else. It could be someone actually thinks to use their fishing profession. You know, the, the profession that they took because they they wanted early on to, to try to make their character sort of seem like a real person and not just a collection of numbers, but then the opportunities never come up, and now they think to use it. So what if they caught the the first uh, f the first salmon of the, of the season, or what if they they caught uh, a magical fish or something like that, or, or a fish that swallowed something very significant? Who knows? Uh, I think it's worth throwing in there. And finally, and I think I already said finally for Violet, but I did want to mention the, the one more thing, which is uh, aconite, or A-C-O-N-I-T-E. Not really sure how to say it. It's a flower. Again, I didn't see it, but I saw a sign for it, and it had a, a pretty good story behind it as well. So in Greek and Roman mythology, uh, Medea tries to kill Theseus by poisoning him by putting uh, aconite in his wine, thought to be the saliva of a Cerberus, which is a three-headed dog that guards the underworld. Now, um, Hercules dragged Cerberus up from the underworld, where the underworld was guarding the underworld. Uh, so Hercules dragged Cerberus uh, up from the from the from the underworld into the overworld, and when the dog turned his face away from the light, uh, barking, he, he he some of his saliva. Um, dropped onto the ground on the path. The saliva hardened in the soil and produced its lethal poison in the form of uh, aconite. So that's where aconite historically, uh, mythologically, comes from, is the saliva of the Cerberus. That's pretty exciting in itself. That's a great backstory. Um, they're among the first flowers to appear in the spring, although, as I said, I, I didn't actually see them. Um, they are fairly frost tolerant. They survive even under um, snow, apparently, and the leaves only expand fully when the flowers are nearly finished. They last for about two to three months, and then they kind of die down during the late spring. So they're kind of this flash in the pan, in a way, um, and they are a Apparently severely poisonous. Um, they 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 don't tend to be something that that are attractive to eat because I mean they 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 sort of they taste very acrid. You wouldn't want to chew on them for very long. Apparently, I did not try. Again, they weren't out when I when I was around that I could as far as I could tell. But um, th th they are poisonous, nevertheless. And I think once again, just in terms of of realism in a in a fantasy world, um, the, that herbalism of of declaring that certain things are poisonous, it's, it's just kind of important to be aware of. But the the backstory of that poison, I think, is really subtle and really interesting to think about. Um, and it's certainly kind of fun to think, well, we can give this plant, which we're declaring as a as a, a lethal poison in in the game world, we can give it an interesting backstory. Not not for any mechanical reason. It's just it, it's a thing that we can do to make the world seem that much more alive and uh, historic. That's all I have on flowers for you today. Flowers and fairies. Um, I hope that it was interesting and inspiring. I will talk to you next time.
that's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me uh, via email at klaatu at member.fsf.org. You can also usually catch me in IRC as not Klaatu. I'm on the Freenode Network. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.